Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Armstrong, and I hope everybody had a great weekend. I know I did. Mine was a little hectic, a lot of travel. A few months ago, rather a couple months ago, I should say, I was I was kind of, uh, not kind of, I was bitten by the bug of gravel racing. Get a lot of questions about um, what what is a gravel race and and you know it's not a road race it's not a mountain bike race and it's doesn't it's not on a road bike although i suppose you could and it's not on a mountain bike although i also suppose you could do that too it's sort of a hybrid of the two um and so i did a race out here in georgia um, on saturday called southern cross which was unbelievable i mean i can't even tell you I can't begin to tell you how fun it is. I roped in Hinkapi and, and Vandeveld and a few others. And, I mean, the smiles on uh, these guys' faces, everybody's faces, was is just such an epic course. Uh, big shout-out and a big thank you to Lisa and her husband uh, for uh, for having us out. And, and thanks to everybody, all the other racers and all the people there, friends and family, spectators, uh, for their warm hospitality. Totally appreciate it. Got another one coming up next weekend in Northern California in Boonville, the Fish Rock. Even harder, longer, more climbing. Uh, it's going to kill me. But I came out to Georgia also uh, to interview my guest today, Jesse Itzler. Um, and Jesse is a, is a colorful guy. You'll, you'll hear when we do the interview, but um, a big thank you uh, to Jesse for taking my son, myself and my son and, and a buddy of his, Max, uh, to the Hawks and the Cavs game. An interesting game, a game in which the Cleveland Cavaliers broke the all-time record, NBA record, for free throws. I think they had 25 free throws. At one point, it seemed like they were up by a million. The Hawks brought it back. And really made a game of it, but uh, Jesse's part owner in the Hawks, so we had courtside seats. I'd never done that. <clears throat> Pretty amazing. Um, and so, uh, thank you to Jesse, and uh, thanks for hosting us. And then, I shouldn't forget, after the game, uh, Jesse arranged a meet and greet <clears throat> and a photo uh, for my son and his friend with LeBron James, the King, King James. Uh, so, a big shout out to LeBron for being uh, super cool to my kid and his buddy. Um, those memories, you know, they never forget. And uh, immediately up on Snapchat, Instagram, all of the channels that you can imagine. Uh, so m- my guest this week, Jesse, is, is somebody that I've known for probably 10 years. Jesse was, well, we talk a lot about it, but he started out as, a, as kind of a, 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 not kind of, he started out as a rapper in a, in a world where he was kind of one of the only white rappers. Uh, but but he's... Uh, uh, He's made himself, or he's turned into really a serial entrepreneur. We met uh, a decade ago at uh, at a ride in Ohio called Pelotonia, which my old my, my friend Doug Olman, who ran Livestrong Forever, is now running. Jesse was the MC ten years ago, and uh, and so we've we've remained friends. He's gone on to do amazing things. Uh, he start started and built and sold Marquee Jet. Uh, was involved in Zico Coconut Water. Um, he's married to an amazing lady, Sarah Blakely, who started Spanx. <laughs> Guy's got more stories. I mean, this is an hour or so, but imagine sitting at dinner for three or four hours. The stories are nonstop. 
so uh, I hope you guys enjoy. Like I say every week, send me an email if you have any questions. The Forward Podcast at WeDoSport.com. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy, Jesse, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. All right, here we are with Jesse Itzler, otherwise used to be known as Jesse James. Yes, yes. And so we are. I, just, I like to set the the vibe for the or the the scene for the listeners. So we're here at your place in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I was here. I texted you. You know, I was coming out for this gravel race that I did uh, this morning, which was a whole different thing and super cool. But you said, "Hey, let's go to the." Uh, you're one of the owners of the Atlanta Hawks. You said you want to go to the game. We're playing LeBron. I was like. Yeah. <laughs> and so last night we go to the game. I'd never sat courtside. Yep. That was so sick. It was great. It was great. I'm glad you got a chance to experience it, you know, just to see uh, see it up close is a different look. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, from watching, <clears throat> for the listener, I mean, from, from watching on TV, right? So that's, it, it's, you know, it feels like you're at 20,000 feet. Right. And all of a sudden you're like staring at these dudes, like size 20s. You're like, whoa, what? Lance, for the listener also, Lance kept saying to me, I hope they catch all these passes. <laughs> you were scared you're going to get hit in the face with a pass. The, the, these guys, the passes amongst themselves, <laughs> if if somebody just just doesn't catch one and it clocks you right in the head, I mean, you're done. You're done. You're done. But I felt pretty comfortable that you know one of us could deflect if yeah. we had to. And we were at a game where where the Cavs... So LeBron and company, Kyrie Irving, set the all-time NBA record for uh, three-pointers in a game. It was 25 three-pointers. Yeah, unfortunately against us, but right. yes. As an owner, you were sitting there, I mean, they just couldn't miss. No. She was, was just it was like unbelievable. dropping. Yeah, it was unbelievable. But they almost made a game of it. Yeah, we made a we made a good run of it, and I'm, I appreciate you coming. It was a lot It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you setting us up. You, I brought my son and his friend, and we got to, they got to get a picture with LeBron. We got to say hi after the game, and... What a be! I mean, these guys. I mean, I think people. Uh, uh, obviously, they're tall, but when you see a dude like LeBron, he's tall and wide. He's almost more wide than he is tall. Yeah, and the game is super physical. Yeah, you know, you can get a real appreciation for how physical the each game is, and it's a mm-hmm. grueling season. Mm-hmm. Eighty games, and these guys are amazing athletes to be able to come back yeah. every night and yeah. But the game, the only thing I'll say, I mean, the, the thing that I think helps them, the games are pretty short. Mm-hmm. If you look at football, they're longer, baseball, you know, it just those long seasons, even even think, something like NASCAR, which is a super long season, the, the races are, 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 the events are so long. Like these guys can get sort of in and out and they can, you know, go sit on the bench for a minute. So that kind of yeah. saves them. That's the only way. Otherwise, there'd be no way they could play that long of a season. Yeah, no, it's true. With it's the true. travel, with everything. Um, before we start talking, we were, uh, we were, (laughs) we were listening to your, your first hit single from 1991, you said? Yeah, 91. Shake it like a white girl. (laughs) You're obviously white. Yes. Yes. I am. Although sometimes you don't act white. (laughs) I am. I am. You're very white. But so you're, you're just, you're a kid that grows up in New York City and, and I'm sure there was a bunch of you that that rapped on the street corner or rapped on the street or or to your at parties or at school or whatever. 
Yeah, I grew up in Long Island, got really into hip hop in the 80s when I was in, you know, junior high and high school, early on, early on, went to all the roller skating rinks and all, all the places where, you know, hip hop was evolving from and got really into it. And when I was in college and MTV started kicking in and videos started appearing and dollars started flowing, all my all my fraternity brothers and all my friends were writing resumes mm -hmm. and I'm like, man, I want to go into the music business. You know, like I'm not writing a resume. This is my A You're plan. A song. I'm writing a song. <laughs> I'm writing a demo is my resume. Yeah. And you know, there was no B plan. That that was it. I made a bet with my roommate in college that I would be on the Arsenio Hall show in a year, right when we graduated. And for those at home listening who were are too young to know, I mean that was like that was like kind of up there with the Tonight Show. Yeah, that was the the, the late night show of, yeah. of my era. Yeah. And um, that was my goal. Like, that that was it. I just wanted to have a record out. I didn't care about how much money I made. I didn't. All I wanted was a video mm -hmm. and to get on to Arsenio Hall. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and it worked. I didn't get on Arsenio, but I got the no, video. But, got but the, video. the video. Yeah. You got, <clears throat> I mean, Shake It Like a White Girl was a top, whatever would you say, a top? Yeah, top 100 song and- you know, signed to a record company called Delicious Tour. Like, were you able to like go out and come on? I did. I had a little tour bus. I no had a, way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I did like. See, I, I had a. My album was mostly like I called it like frat rap. So it was. I wrote it when I was in college. I was yeah. in a fraternity. So I did a fraternity tour right when it came out. All the Big Ten schools and all the fraternities and sororities, and that was like a built-in audience for me. Right. And um, can we talk about some of those nights? <laughs> probably <laughs> with, I, I don't know with the wife know what the ratings kids, would be yeah you know, just 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 a, a a level down we probably shouldn't tonight we yeah talk about it later you mean talk about it later i would love to i would love to <laughs> oh my god so you're just cruising like it yeah so but you never went out with like run dmc or you know in those days all the tours like a lot of the acts weren't big enough to hold like to fill an arena themselves so you would get on a bill that could be like 10 to 12 artists and you would do two or three songs until the headliner came out. So I did go on a lot of those tours and, and um, I was just telling a story that the other day that I, here in Atlanta, my first show ever was at the Georgia Dome and they bust in 30,000 inner city kids for this concert they called the Increase the Peace concert. And they were having black artists and white artists perform in this like community bonding event. And the day before the concert, Vanilla Ice canceled. So they volunteered me as the white artist. So when I showed up at the Georgia Dome, like the place was insanely unruly. There's fist fights and brawls and these kids are going crazy and the police are all over the the venue and the kids- Because Vanilla Ice canceled? Or no, just no, to, just because like they yeah. brought in all these inner city yeah. kids and they were just like, it was I, just I, a I tough crowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they booed everybody off the stage. So LL Cool J was the lead off guy and they, in his prime and they booed him off. And I'm sitting up, it was like black guy, white guy, you know, they mixed the, the roster. So I'm in the green room about to go on next. They're booing LL Cool J off and I'm going to sing my song, Shake It Like a White Girl. So I walk, I, first I called my mother from the green room and I'm like, I got a really big problem. She was like, sweetie, just be yourself. You know, and I'm like, it doesn't work that way. And they announced me. And now as I come onto the stage, the kids are like pissed that I'm an artist, that I'm even like on the stage, like, 
really pissed, like about to throw stuff at me. So I had some free t-shirts and I'm like, does this section on my left want some t-shirts? And they went crazy and I threw them out. The section on my right, they went nuts and I threw them out. I'm like, middle section, free t-shirts. I threw them out. I said, thank you very much. Salt and pepper's up next. And I got the fuck out of there. I didn't say a word of my song. I was like, great night guys. Enjoy the t-shirts. And I rolled out of there. No way. The only only guy there. <laughs> so that was like, you know, everybody else was getting booed. I handed out these t-shirts. I got on the tour bus and I left. Everybody likes free shit, Jesse. Free shit. I didn't say one word. You, that, that's where you that you probably learned it that day. Now you you know people love free shit. They love it. They love it. But that's been a theme in my life. Like, don't let them boo you. You know, like take take control of stuff and figure out a way to when you're in the door to get out of the door. And that was like a really powerful lesson. You know, it's yeah. funny you brought that up. Yeah. But at 21 years old, when you have 33 five thousand people about to boo you you better call an audible yeah, and think fast quick yeah and interesting i i grew up i grew up in north texas in the suburbs of dallas and and vanilla ice grew up at the same he might have been a year older than me um <clears throat> this has nothing nothing to do with that show other than he Rob, <laughs> robbie van winkle grew up is like this kid you know had the tricked out i mean we all had we were just cheesy as fuck all of us i mean we had you know but he was he was already starting his his you know people were like what's what's up with this guy and then like two years later you know yeah he's vanilla ice yeah no i mean those were great years for me you know those were defining years at that point in my life my only goal was to make enough money that I could grow my own fruit. Do you know, I mean, this has nothing to do with what we should be talking about, but what is what is Vanilla Ice, or Robbie Van Winkle, a.k.a. Vanilla Ice, up to now? Like, what's a guy like that? He's obviously- He's had a bunch of lives. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's come back on some TV stuff, and recently I think he was touring, but I'm, I haven't really been following him that closely. But uh, he's been, I think he's been able to kind of reinvent himself a yeah. couple of times. Huh. There you go. So, so for for everybody listening, when you when you know you're about to get booed off something, just start giving away free shit, throwing t-shirts, <laughs> or have a plan, have a backup plan, brushes, throwing whatever. It works. Yeah. And this rap thing, you told me once about this because uh, you obviously love hip hop and rap, and and you had your idols and 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 that scene. And I don't remember when it was a year or two or a few years ago. You asked all of them to come i don't maybe they were already in atlanta for something but you invited them over to the house you just wanted to have a, like a summit felt like a summit the way you described it yeah well what happened was i was at a dinner party with my wife and the host of the party asked everybody gonna in, we got it we're gonna get into your wife this is okay yeah. all right um but the host of the party asked everybody to go around and name three people that were alive that they wanted to have dinner with hmm. and all the guests would gave you the obvious ones you know oprah clinton obama this one buffett but when it came to me, all three of mine truly were rappers because these three guys changed the trajectory of my life when I was 15 years old and I wanted to meet them. So right after the dinner, I'm like, you know what? I invited the 10 most influential artists in my life to my house for dinner. I only knew two of them and they all came. And what was interesting about it was- But by getting the two, so the two you knew, you got. I got them. Did you ask them to reach out? I said, I want to put a word in. Yeah. I said, look, you know, I want to, want to get, get the guys together. I'll fly everybody in. And what was so interesting about it is, and these are the biggest acts in the eighties in hip hop, Rockem, Big Daddy Kane, Kumo D, um, Dana Dane. I mean, all, all these pioneers of hip hop. And a lot of them hadn't been in the same room since like 85, 86. So for them, it was a real treat. And for me, it was just amazing, like the conversations and 
um, the love and the appreciation. Mm. And I learned a lot. I got a lot of really big life lessons from that one dinner. Wow. And yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. And you, but you're the thing, and we're going to get into this over the hour here. The reason, which is just so crazy, to, the reason you're able to hold that summit or have that dream dinner of yours is is not because you did shake it like a white girl and, and those kids didn't boo you. I mean, you had you've had this crazy life and this crazy career where it's a, a white kid rapper uh, to you know just. The entrepreneurial stuff, which most people would say, or or would call the Midas touch, right? We're going to get into some of these successes we, we talked earlier about potentially, or you know, obviously along the way there are these failures. But to go from a white rapper uh, to the aviation business to coconut water to um, writing bestsellers to, I mean, dude, I'm an adrenaline junkie, yeah, like you. I love newness. I love challenges. Yeah. Um, and I'm driven by starting new things and just seeing, you know, um, I like, I like being the underdog mm. and I've always gotten into ventures where I've had no prior experience, didn't know what in the world I was doing or getting myself into and trying to figure it out. Yeah. And that's always kind of been my MO. Yeah. It's always been a harder route. You know, what was the first, so when you decide, or, you know, you figure out you're not going to get on Arsenio, mm -hmm. you're not going to, you know, play at the Grammys. What was and you start to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an entrepreneur. I'm gonna be a businessman. I'm gonna go out and create an actual uh, business. Yep. Well, I knew early on I never wanted to have a resume. I never wanted to work for anybody. Right. I was starting to say earlier, like my only goal growing up was to have enough money that I could buy a fruit tree, like grow my own fruit. Like if I did that, to me, I made it. Love I love fruit. fruit. I love fruit. We all know and, you love fruit. And then my second goal was to have a swimming pool. Like if I didn't have to like go to a public pool, I could have my own pool. And then those things started growing. But my first, my first, so after my rap career didn't work out the way I thought it would, I didn't get picked up for a second album. I moved back to New York and um, I love sports. I love basketball, obviously, and music. And I wrote a theme song for the New York Knicks. They paid me $4,000 in 92. It's called Go New York Go. It cost me $4,800 to do the song. After I paid my lawyer and the singer and the studio, I lost $800 on the project, which is not a good business model. But every team that came into Madison Square Garden was like, why don't we have a song like this? Like, we don't have a rally song. Right. And I'm like, wow, man, that this is my own lane. No one's in this lane. Mm -hmm. You know, I love being different. And I'm like, this is different. So I created this category of sports music. And that was my first real foot into the world of being an entrepreneur because I was blazing a road that didn't exist, right. you know, which is really what is being an entrepreneur, right? Taking a risk, starting something that doesn't, that's not out there. Yep. No one, and I'm like, man, if I can get my costs down, $4,000 a team, there's 100 professional sports teams, yeah. I can make a couple hundred thousand dollars here. And that's what I did for a year. Do I they wrote, still play the song? They do. Come on. 25 years no later. No way. They still play that song. Yeah. Which is nuts. And that was called Alphabet City Sports Records. It's called Alphabet City Sports Records was uh, the first song that we did. And, you know, did just, just made a run at doing these these little niche sports songs and no one else was in that world. We were the only guy company to call on. How to do crazy, these. how crazy is it that you're sitting there, they pay you four grand to write the song that they still play today. Granted. And it costs you 4,800 to make it. You're going, shit, I just lost 800 bucks. Anyways, they still play it. You're going to the games, right? You're going and all your homies are like, dude, this is your song. I mean, yeah. that's pretty great. Yes. And now 
you know, fast forward to your part owner in an NBA team. Like it's 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 absolutely nuts. You got to do the song for the Hawks. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think I'd be better off. It would be a better business decision to have somebody else do it based Mm-mm. on my uh, my music career. I don't think so, man. Should I go back and do it? Dust off the mic? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And you sold Alphabet City to SFX. SFX. So, uh, Robert Sil- was it Yeah, Silliman. Yeah, he's a beast. He is a beast. Man. Dude. He was. I've met with that guy a few times. He, he's an intense guy. He really is. I, I, I just met with him about two weeks ago. Great. You know, he was kind of a- How's his health? He had a couple of health scares. Yeah, I'd heard that. But, you know. You guys, for the listener at home, I don't want to lose y'all on this, but you can look him up. This guy is, you know, he's been a pioneer when it comes to festivals and music and the industry and, you know, especially now these EDM festivals. And he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's got, I think he has esophageal cancer. He does. Which is one of these cancers where it ain't like, oh, I got prostate cancer and nobody knows. Like when somebody has cancer of the esophagus everybody knows yeah because of the, the voice and the the device and but man the guy's intense he is he is and we you know when we sold the company to him it was less about the money and, and this and that it was about him mm. you want to be you want to be next to a guy like that when you're young yeah. you know i just figured how much could we learn from a guy like this yeah. 28 years old he bought our company when i was 28 years old and um he also just the way the world works you know he had a timeshare on a private jet and I was a guest with my partner on his private jet. And by the time we landed on the, after that first flight, we were like, we got to figure out a way to fly private more often. And that was the genesis of our next company. Yeah, that's the, the, the most addictive drug in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. And, and, and when you say you guys and you and Kenny D, Kenny D's been on this podcast. Yeah. When y'all sell it to still, I mean, you, you like, you made money on the deal or you, you just got out of the deal? We did. So the way the deal was structured was we got cash in stock. It was a public company right. up front. Right. And then we had an earn out. So if we were to generate a certain amount of EBITDA profit over the next two, three years, we would get a, a, a bonus, like an earn out. Right. So with a good multiple on it, you know, earn a million dollars, I'll pay you five. Right. Because he was a public company and the street was paying him 10 times right. his, his, you know, his EBITDA. Yeah. So he would gladly pay us five. So we just work like crazy to hit those bonuses. Yeah. We're like, man, we got to get these. And bonuses. are you thinking, dude? I'm set. Or are you thinking, okay, this is this isn't. I'm not set. I got to go do the next thing. You know, I've always been a check the box and move on guy. Yeah. Uh, as you are, right? You do a race, you check it, you don't dwell on it, you, you go on. And you know, I celebrated it big for short term, and then it was like, all right, what's next? You know, like how do I build my life resume? What's what next? Because you either got bored or knew you'd get bored or you were just like, what's next? What's next? Cause that's how I'm wired. Right. And I'm just like, it's, I've always been, you know, what more can I do? Yeah. And I get bored easily. Right. Have you, so, so you've been bored. I was just going to say, have yeah. you ever been like truly, totally bored? Cause I have. Um, I'm looking for that. Yeah. I don't think I don't spend enough time with myself mm. and I'm looking for that. We're going to get into that. You're going to spend some time with yourself pretty soon. I sure am. Uh, so from there, then it's Marquee Jet, which for those that, because you mentioned Silverman and you mentioned he had a timeshare on a private jet, which is, it's it's like exactly the way it sounds, a timeshare. If you had an, uh, you know, a, a house or a condo or an apartment in Mexico, a lot of times they sell timeshares. So you get five weeks a year or you get, so that's exactly, they, they do the same thing for 
for private planes. Right. Right. So so came along NetJets and FlexJet and all these people that were selling. People didn't want to buy an entire plane. So they'd think, okay, I'll buy 50 hours or I'll buy 100 hours or whatever my needs are, which was which was the the the, the you know the next step beyond owning your own plane right um and i'm not trying to and, and for the listener because this is weird for you know most people know that that's the way i used to always fly yep. i flew for i flew timeshare fractional we call it and then i owned a plane and then everything happened and that's all gone and now i sit with you know 200 other people every time i fly and it's all good right but so I'm not trying to uh, talk about a snooty subject here, but this is this was your world, which is just so com- compelling. Um, so you either owned the plane, you owned a part of the, you know, a chunk of the plane. Right. You guys took it a step further with 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 no money up front. We did. We, we and, sold- and the first person to ever say, well, "Let's do this." Right. People must have thought you're crazy. They thought we were crazy. I thought we were crazy. I remember looking at Kenny, my partner, and I'm like, how many of these timeshares do you think we can sell? We were selling 25-hour jet cards. And he was like, man, I don't know, maybe like 15 or 16. I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's make our projection 30. I'll sell 15 too. Like we had no idea right. if people would accept it. And I just remember thinking to myself, that's a lot of money. You know, How many people are going to really do this? But to me, Jesse, the, the, the interesting thing is or if I look at that arrangement or that that business, I think, okay, it's, how am I going to get these people to buy a 25-hour chunk, right? Who's going to believe that? Or who? But the bigger challenge to me, or the bigger hurdle would have been, how do you convince NetJets, who was sort of the the, the Microsoft or the Intel or the, the major of that industry, how do you go to them and go, hey, we're going to go? Right. I mean, well, so we had this great- They were not- Right. We, we had they, this- They must have thought, who are these punks in here thinking they're going to- well, the first meeting we had with Rich Santulli, the CEO, lasted 12 minutes, and yeah. he threw us out of the room. And I think the direct- He's a tough guy, too. He's a tough guy. I think the direct quote was, you know, if you think I'm giving two guys that didn't break a 1,000 on their SATs access to my airplanes, it's not happening. Yep. And Which bothered me, because I think I did break my 1,000 on my SATs. But we, we left the meeting, and, and the president of the company came running out. He's like, that was amazing. I said, <laughs> what are you talking about? We got kicked out in 12 minutes. He said, no, nah, Santulli doesn't give anybody 12 minutes. He said, there's something here. Come back and, and repitch this. I want to learn more. Mm-hmm. So we realized like we could never sell this concept to him through a PowerPoint. We had to bring it to life. And we got one shot. So we literally brought in our own focus group. We showed up at the next meeting with eight guys, an a-, a professional athlete from the Giants, Carl Banks, Run DMC, a Wall Street broker, just a diverse group. And one by one, they were our sales pitch. They stood up and explained that they would never buy a NetJet fraction, but they would buy a 25-hour card and uh we left with the deal and i think we had more customers than NetJets a year later wow and then the company goes on and sells to warren buffett at, at berkshire yeah. and and we had a good run and so there you're again going all right is we, that enough is that enough well you know um like i said i love newness and um uh, that's what drives me challenge and uh so after that was done i'm still a young guy and I just, the, the switch in my head was what's next, yeah. you know? I was never super, I love the business and I love what, what flying that way and that was an amazing time to meet amazing people, but um, it wasn't my life calling, you know? Still don't know what my life calling is, but it wasn't what I wanted to, what I thought I would be in 20 or 30 years down the road. Yeah, yeah. And so then where, where does, I mean, I, I have to admit, I'm probably bullshitting here, but 
I don't think I've ever had a sip of coconut water. I have no, de- I have literally zero desire. I'm sure I've had it just because it's been in something, but. So neither did I. I yeah. I, 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 was, got- I was training for a hundred mile run. I decided I was, I wanted to raise money for charity and I decided I wanted to do it differently than, you know, throw a golf outing or, or a dinner or something like this. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going to run a hundred miles nonstop in under 24 hours. So I signed up for the national championship. I think it was in Texas, wasn't it? Grapevine, Texas. Yeah. And uh, who the hell runs? I mean, you know, I mean, you've been to Grapevine. I grew up, that's in North Texas. Like, yeah, well, it was, where well, do you go in Grapevine? To run it was on, a, it was on a one mile dirt unlit parking Shoot lot. Me. Yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> it was pretty Shoot hardcore. <laughs> I gave myself 90 days to train for this thing. I wasn't even really in great shape. And um, I did a lot of research on hydration and nutrition. Like, you know, are right, you going to go out there? You're going to run for 24 hours. What in the world am I going to eat? How many calories do I have to take in? How much liquid do I have to take in? And I just started experimenting. And through my research, I'm like, wow, coconut water hmm. is unbelievable. Like, forgetting all the benefits of it, I started experimenting with it. And I was like, wow, this is the fountain of youth, man. This is unbelievable. And I, when I finished this race, being the human guinea pig for consumption, I was like, this is going to be the next big trend. You know, pomegranate, pomegranate mm-hmm. juice or pomegranate, um, the category started exploding. And prior to that, orange juice. And every year, couple of years is something new in beverage. I'm like, it's going to be coconut water. So I spent a year. I went to Jamaica, Brazil. I traveled the world trying to figure out how to import coconut water. And the I think the under 1,000 might have, on my SAT kicked in. And I'm like, this is past my learning curve. I, I, I can't crack this code. I'm a marketer. Right. So I partnered with a company called Zico that was doing about $3 million in sales, which is zero, zero in beverage. And- uh, Yeah, three millions. It's nothing. Right. And uh, we blazed that category and we sold it to Coke a couple, two years later. But you're forgetting the part where you, you actually ran the New York City Marathon dressed up as a Zico coconut bottle. I did. Coconut I did. water bottle. Human Tetra Pack. Human Tetra Pack. And that was- that was uh, every, that was a hard a hard day. I think my shoulders just came back down to like the regular position years later. That was a hard day. That was a hard day. But we, you know, it's what's so funny about that is Gatorade paid a bazillion dollars to sponsor the New York Marathon. Right. I ran the New York Marathon as a Zico Tetra Pack as a bottle, yeah. and got more publicity than yeah. Gatorade. What year was that? That was in 2011. Right. So I mean, it, so that's not that long ago. No. But it is a long time ago when you consider, and you're, you're a big fan of this, when you consider from 2011 to 2017, if you did that uh, this year's New York City Marathon and you were streaming it live on Facebook and right. on Instagram and on YouTube, whatever the channel you want to use, I mean, it, it would be fucking massive. It would like check this dude out running. It'd be it'd be like I mean you could be the guy that juggles for the marathon. I would watch that. Man, or the I'm, guy that runs backwards, or the guy that holds a an egg with a spoon. Like, like that's so true. I'm yeah. glad I'm glad I don't have to run it this year again. But yeah. but yeah, you're right. It's it's a new world. Yeah. But back then, it was you had to be scrappy. I mean, it was a bar fight. You know, you're you're a new product. It was you got to whatever you have to do. And so I'm, who covers it? Like the, 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 the TV channel in New York, that's, TV channels, that's local post, media. Yeah. Look, there's at that time, I think there were only 35,000 runners. Now there's probably 60,000, but, uh, all the runners, I was there early. You know, I stayed around. I had other people stationed in the, in the Tetra pack and, you know, I'm mingling in the, 
the run probably took me five and a half hours because I'm in the stands. I'm with fans. I'm you know I'm giving them our website. Anything I could do to, and, yeah, to and, snipe it. I was and they just think you're some guy. No that idea. Was, that was just paid to run the marathon. Absolutely. In, in the thing, and all the while you're you're the dude with all the upside or a lot of the upside. Correct. You such a snake. <laughs> Some of your buddies are like this. Look at this fucking Itzler. He's yeah. over there just working it. Yes, they they already know that I probably have a couple of cards missing up there. But uh, yeah, huh. I had a Lance. You'll appreciate this. I used to, uh, I used to. There was a rickshaw guy from France that I hired that would come to my office every day in New York City at seven o'clock. Then he would get on the back of the rickshaw. And I would take the bike around Central Park to my house, and that was my workout. It was like because I couldn't deal with the traffic, so my friends would already would see me in a suit. This guy loved you. He loved me. He got paid, but my friends would see me in a suit, you know, riding this rickshaw up Park Avenue with this this guy from France in the back. They'd be like, "What the hell are you doing?" So when I showed up in a Tetra Pack, it wasn't really right. It's like, all right, that's a, I get that, it. That's a shtick. It's a shtick. So what 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 didn't work? Right. Well, I mean, we 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 we've actually never even talked about this, so I'm super curious to know what the hell you're going to say. But before we went on, you you were like, "It's easy to sit here and look at look at all these things, right? And look at where you are today." But then I've had like I had John Paul DeJory on the other day, who was you know he, he seemingly has the Midas touch, which is whether it's Paul Mitchell, whether it's Patron, whether it's you know absolutely. Yeah. But along the way, there's a ton of stuff that you're like just total strikeouts yeah i mean i have strikeouts every day but i've had some big ones and those are those are the real valuable ones but mm -hmm. they still sting so it's funny you mentioned lebron i started a company with lebron uh, a couple of years ago called sheets and what sheets were they were basically an oral dissolvable strip like a listerine strip that goes on your tongue but they were infused with caffeine <laughs> so when red bull was sell i mean uh, i'm sorry when five hour energy was yep. selling 10 million two and a half bottles a week. Energy was the hottest thing on every shelf. We thought we had a better mousetrap. We created this dissolvable strip. You put it on your tongue. It bypasses your digestive tract and you're infused with caffeine How much instantly. Caffeine? 80, 80 milligrams 80 milli to 100 so, milligrams. Right. Yeah, we so just, half a cup of coffee. Yeah. But for a little strip, you're just- yeah, But non-diluted. It right. goes right in through yep. your tongue. So um, we had we, everybody that I knew on this planet, I put into this deal. Because I was so sure that this thing was going to work, well, we had LeBron. You got yeah. We had LeBron. We had a lot of athletes. We had money. We were on TV commercials. We were in forty thousand stores when we launched. Like no consumer product, I don't think ever, ever, has been in forty thousand doors when they launched. So the first week sales come in, and we're got bat, you know billboards up, commercials running with Bron with others. We sales are through the roof through the roof and I'm like man this is this is Snapchat this is Facebook like this is this is a this is a big one and then the next week the numbers come in and they are fucking through the roof I'm still taking money and I'm like calling my college roommates I'm like guys I like you got I know you've got some savings for that you don't want to dip into but this one you got to do yeah this one you got to do and then the third week the numbers come out and they are more stores are on board now we're 50,000 doors I mean everywhere you look and I can't even get my arms around this thing. And then the next week, right down the gutter. Because, you know, you can have a celebrity, you can have 
advertising dollars. You can be all over the place, but if you don't have an amazing product, that stuff will drive people to try it once. Right. But if you don't have an amazing product that people want to share with each other and talk about at a dinner party and are, you know, and and keep buying and and incorporate into habit, it's not going to work. And we broke a cardinal rule, man. We we rushed the product cuz the the category was hot. We wanted to get on the shelves quickly. Caffeine is really hard to ma- is really bitter. It's hard to mask sure. the taste yeah. of pure caffeine. Yeah. So have the, you ever chewed up a Vibrant? I have not. It's a tough, tough yeah. one to swallow. Yeah. So this, so this was a little bit. It wasn't. I, ha- I have. But okay. <laughs> well, the taste profile yeah, here nasty. wasn't it's nasty. Yeah, it was, wasn't what it should have been. And we, we, we were so cocky that we didn't start slowly and respect the process mm. because the process in this country to launch a brand, it, it can, it, it's really eight years kind of rule of thumb you know i mean you can get lucky but on average zico took from the start the found the day the founder walked in and said i'm in the coconut water business to the time coca-cola bought it eight years hmm. it takes time there's no magic pill and we tried to do a shortcut there's no shortcuts in this world yeah. and uh you know i have stories like that you know and um they're painful they're still painful to look at people in the face and say i'm so you know you lose people money you lose yourself money it's like, okay, shame on me. I'm foolish. Damn. You lose your best friend money yeah. or your brother or whoever. Yeah. Who, who wasn't in the Zico deal or the Marquee Jet deal right. or the, or the, you know, that's uh, right. Any other deals are like, yo, man, the one you put, you guaranteed. Yeah. Me. I made a lot of people money and, and this, but when, and that, all of that isn't worth losing people money. So, so those there, things stopped. It went to zero. I mean, it's, it's pretty much went to zero. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I still love the idea. Right. That was my question. Is 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 it so you have these ideas uh which are either successes or failures or or somewhere in between. Um and some of them just deserve to be a failure, right? So but some of them you must look at and there could be other examples where you're like, "No, that was a good idea. Like that should have worked." I uh I scratch my my head all the time like were, were we in the right space first? Should it should it have been a sleep device rather than energy? Cuz I love I love the Listerine strip as a delivery mechanism, mm-hmm. right? For energy, melatonin, you know, melatonin for sleep or whatever. We went into the hottest category. Asking someone to change habit, someone that's eating, drinking coffee, drinking Red Bull or whatever they're doing for their pick-me-up, asking them to say, stop, try this and switch is like ridiculously hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, better than anyone, habit yeah. is like, you know, a great thing or a, hard, or a terrible thing. Yeah. And um, so- we just started too big. We, we, you know, we thought, wow, we've had some success. Here we go again. Yeah. You know, and like that's not each each journey is its own journey. Yeah, yeah. LeBron, last night he seemed a little pissed off at you. <laughs> is it because of the sheets? No, no, no. <laughs> Listen, we were the, the good thing about it is, you know, we were very honest throughout the process yeah. uh, with the whole thing, and we knew, like anything else, when you start something, this is this is the pitch. It's yeah. going to be a monster or it's going to be nothing. We yeah. take like take we all take big swings. And this was from day one. That's the one thing you know I can I, I feel good about. Right. It's very honest. This is going to be a this is going to be Snapchat, or this is going to fizzle. Yeah, Snapchat just goes public. The valuation now. I think the initial valuation was twenty four billion, but the stock went up. I think twenty percent on day one. Yeah. I mean, here's a guy. I don't even remember the kid's name. He's in his early twenties. He starts the social media. Uh, 
channel, right? Which is what it is. And I think two years ago, Zuckerberg says, all right, I'll give you, and you know, all our kids were on Snapchat. Right. It's like, whatever. Zuckerberg says, I'll give you $2 billion. Or he says, I want to come down and, and uh, offer you $2 billion, $2 billion for a kid who's like 21 or 22. He says, he says, don't even get on the plane. Right. Don't, don't even leave your office. That's amazing. That's a, the balls that it took for that kid to go, uh-uh. Amazing. Don't even take another, to do whatever you want to do. Do not come down here. Yeah. This, and now, it, it's, dude. It, it's crazy. And I don't think they've made any money yet, right? They're not profitable. I don't believe they're profitable yet. But he's profitable. <clears throat> he's profitable. He now has four or five billion dollars. Yeah. Which is twice of, Mm-hmm. Think about that. Good. There was one of the, the initial, and we're getting off subject, so we'll wrap that up. But then the first money they took was a was a small VC firm. I read this the other day in the New York Times. They put in, I want to say they put in f- like four hundred twenty five thousand dollars. It's a billion dollars now. It's yeah. There's a lot of bunch of stories like that. Well, Uber, yeah, Snapchat, Facebook. Yeah. I mean, but but Uber too, which is just absurd. You know, but just like my sheet story for for all those, there's twenty thirty that just didn't didn't work out yeah. too. You know, yeah. you hear about these these successes, and it's a little bit of uh, false gold, right? Yeah. I mean, because people think that oh wow, this is the next thing, and put their life savings into stuff, and you know, everything comes with great risk. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, let's talk about these books. I didn't realize it until you told me yesterday before the game. You sent me Living with a Seal. Yep. Um, which is which uh, I have to confess I don't read books, so I didn't I got I got a couple chapters in, but all thing blew up. Yep. And you did a great job sort of telling that story about the story you were gonna tell, which is what you do. Mm-hmm. Um but I didn't realize till yesterday that that's a five book series. It is. So But I'm first well you can tell me about the series, but I gotta hear about living thirty or whatever days it was with like a the, one of the gnarliest Navy SEALs that you basically say Dude, whatever you want to do at any hour of the day, just come get me. Yep. You're you're fucking crazy. So Cuz you know when you say that to somebody, they just lick in their chops. They they if you said, "Look, let's make it really hard and, you know, I'm free from such a they already lick their chops. I'm going to I'm going to yeah. torture this rich guy." Yeah. And then if you say any hour, I mean, dude, that is a wet dream for a guy like that. It is. He uh <laughs> you're crazy. It, you know, this wasn't planned. I uh, I was at a, a relay race. I was doing with five friends in San Diego. It was a 24-hour race. And the format of the race was simple. You know, you run a mile, you run a mile, I run a mile. And whatever team runs the most miles in 24 hours wins the race. Yeah. The guy, I was with five friends, but the guy to the left of me, to my left at the start, had no one to relay with, had no friends, was his own relay team. And he weighed about 285 pounds, Jesus. which is a tremendous amount of weight to carry over that distance. What year was this? This is in 2000, believe it or not, it was in 2006. Yeah. And uh, the race was unsupported, so you had to bring all your own supplies. They don't even provide water. It was on a dirt parking lot, same thing. Um, so I had over, I overdid my supplies. We just sold marquee jets, so I had like masseuses, you know, banana trucks. I went nuts. He had three items. He had a fold-up chair, one bottle of water, and a box of crackers. That's Come it. on. I swear. And I'm like, man, how in the world is this guy going to get through 24 hours with And he's that? 280 pounds? 285. I might, and I might be generous there. So sure enough, at mile 70, he sits down in the chair. And because of his weight, 
he crushed all the small bones in both of his feet. He blew up all his mar- the metatarsals in both feet. And because he only had crackers, he had kidney damage or failure or whatever. He was peeing blood down his leg. And I was like, man, we got to get this guy a medic. You saw the blood? Saw the whole thing. What? I'm like, we got to get this guy a medic immediately. Like, they got to airlift this guy out of here. What does he do? He gets duct tape, duct tapes his feet, picks himself out of the chair, and runs another 30 miles to get to his goal of 100, and then runs one more in case they miscounted. So my first reaction is like, man, I got to meet this guy. I got to meet this guy because whatever special sauce he has, whatever makes a guy like that tick that get, got him out of the chair, if any of that rubbed off on me, mm. then all the different buckets of my life would be so much better. I'd be a better businessman, a better dad, if I could teach my employees mm. that secret sauce. So I Googled him and learned he was a Navy SEAL. I called him and I flew out to meet with him. And then five minutes into our meeting, I'm like, I'm never going to get the magic dust talking to this guy over lunch. And I, out of nowhere, I just said, would you, would you ever consider coming to live with me for a month? And he paused and he looked me up and down. I almost said, like, forget it. Like, he looked like he was going to punch <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, I was just kidding. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, uh, motherfucker, if you're crazy enough to ask me to come and live with you, oh I'm crazy enough to come. That's nuts. And three days later, he was at my breakfast table. And that started our journey. There was no book planned. It wasn't like, and the only rule of thumb there was, he said, you know, you got to do everything I say or I'm, or I'm leaving. And at that point in my life, you know, I was in a great spot. I was married. I still am. I had a son. Now I have four kids, but I was in a routine. And like probably a lot of the listeners, even like you, Lance, my routine was get up, work out, go to work, come home, dinner, family, TV, repeat. Yep. And for a lot of people, routines are amazing. And for me, I thought I was operating at a high level, yep. sold some businesses, but routines can also be a rut. And I was just doing the same shit every day. I wasn't getting better. And I felt it. I was like, I can't get out of this routine. It's so comfortable. It's working. Mm. But like the days of my life are shortening. You know, like I'm, I'm 48 now. The average American lives to be 78. That's only 30 more years if I'm average. And like, I'm in this routine. Like, yeah, this you're on the back nine. Yeah, this isn't what I want to be doing. Yeah. So I just said, come on, man, shake me up. So he shook me up. God. He shook and, me up. And just before we, because uh, I want to hear more about that, but but when he's 285, and this is in 2008, yeah. you said, he had been a SEAL, or he then, because his story, or then he goes on to become a SEAL after the run. No, he actually was active. During yeah. that point, he was he was an active SEAL. So Because he was heavy before. I read I read about him. Yeah. And we've talked about him, David Goggins. Um. He was when he went to the to the U.S. Navy recruiter. He walks into the office and says, "I want to be a SEAL." Yep. And the guy, the recruiter, looks at him, and I don't know what he was. Say he was two fifty mm-hmm. at the time. The guy says, "You know, you're uh, you're a hundred pounds overweight." Yeah. And he had thirty days until sixty. He, or Not 60, to correct you, but yeah, he had sixty days. Whatever. Yeah. He was 100 pounds over, and he had 60 days until there was some sort of cutoff or check-in or whatever. Yeah. Homie loses 100 pounds in 60 days. It's true. That, that, that That's just... It's true. People and can't lose he, he went in, three pounds in 60 days. He went into... He was not healthy from that. He went into, into buds, you know, not healthy yeah. from losing all that weight. But, um, yeah, and he had... And then, he, you know, he had gone through periods where he gained weight as a SEAL... 
various missions, you know, for various reasons. Um, I don't know all the details, but when he came to me, he was super fit. He went on to to break the Guinness Book of World Records for most pull-ups in a day. He yeah. did 4,030 in 17 hours. But he had not an ounce of fat when he showed up at my house. Yeah. He was he was No, on. I saw the video of of the race you do at your house in Connecticut, the 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 hill Yeah, hell on the hill. Hell on the oh, hill no. and a, the homie looks like, you know, Rambo or something. He I mean, just he he didn't deviate three the hill the race at my house is I live on a 80-yard hill with about a 40% incline and it's just nasty, the grass, it's slippery. He didn't deviate. You go up and down 100 times, which is only about eight and a half miles, but it could take 3 or 4 hours. Mm-hmm. It's just really steep, not for him. But for most most people in the race, he didn't deviate on any of the hundred laps by more than two seconds. Like it was like a programmed machine. He did not deviate. His each lap was the exact same pace for the entire time. So he, that's just so. But, but you get him, which to me that this story is crazy or amazing on two levels. One, you agree to do it, and he agrees to do it. Uh, but your family agrees to let this complete stranger come move into your house. So that's at the breakfast table at, you know, all hours, whatever. You got some dude living with you now, waking you yep. up at all hours. The, 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 the part about your wife, Sarah, who in her own right is just a complete legend. I want to get to her in a minute. But, um, but so this guy's living with y'all and he's, I mean, there's no consistency in terms of, it could be 9 a.m., 9 p.m., 3 in the morning, anything. Yeah. I mean, and he, of the 30 days, because was, was it 30 days? It was, yeah, or was little, it was 30 days. What was the worst thing? I mean, the thing that you just thought, I, I, I can't do it? Huh. And then, furthermore, if you couldn't do it, is, was there any slack? Would he say, hey, couldn't do it? Or did I, you have was, to do of, it? Of all the things, there was only one thing that he told me to abort, which was a direct order from him. Uh, and that was something we, that was something in, in a, we went into a steam room. Not everything was physical. A lot of it were mental challenges, yeah. and he was trying to just take my grit meter up significantly. And uh, one day we just went into a into the steam room at my house, and he jacked it up to about one thirty, mm. and said, "Gave me eight ounces of water," and said, "We're going to stay in for thirty minutes." And um, it, I think the meter was broken. It felt like it was one eighty in there. Um, because the steam, the effect of heat with steam is a lot different than sitting in a dry sauna. So we're in the steam and it's jacked up and he's whistling Dixie. You know, I'm like doing mine trucks, trying to like let the clock tick faster. And eight minutes in, I'm already, I've already drank all the water. He hasn't even looked at his water. And by 15 minutes, I'm like, uh, as a Goggins, I, I think I got to get out. He's like, there's no fucking way you're getting out. Wow. So I sit in there, 22 minutes, 23 minutes, the clock's ticking. He's like, you got seven minutes. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna faint. I gotta get out. And I didn't even let, wait for him to say no. I like burst the door open. All the steam comes out. I'm sitting there, and he looks at me, and like, I could, like, he's like, he's going. I'm going into La La Land. I'm going into La La Land. He's like, man, you don't look so good. I'm like, Goggins, I think. And he's like, we got to abort. We're aborting. I'm like, we're aborting. We're aborting. Love it. Which I loved it. And so that was one. But he, he had me. We. I lived on a lake. He, he dropped. He, Took a boulder. The lake was frozen. Kids are playing hockey. He cracked a hole in the ice, jumped in it, made me jump in it. You know, um, we were running. We did something called the four four forty eight. So every four hours, we would run four miles for forty eight hours. 
which really messes, that's I think it's a double marathon, but it it really it, or maybe it's a math. It, but it's wait a minute, is that a thing? The four four forty eight. We just made it up. Okay, we just made it I up. Don't, I don't four, like. Four, I don't like any of that. Because what happens is you go for you run four miles. By the time you you know cool, it was freezing. It was the middle of the winter. By the time you warm up, get back into bed, it's two hours of sleep. It's go time. He's knocking on my on my door. He's, he's nose to nose with me in my bed, saying, "Get up, motherfucker." You know, and that that's what we did. So we were doing all this stuff. And um you you paddleboard. Did you stand up paddleboard around the Manhattan or, or that did was I, or did I make that I, I did a I did a paddleboard race independent of, of the oh, steel okay. experience. Like, which oh, is okay. also Yeah, crazy. Not fun. Yeah. And um So what if you like you know, because you're you're you, right? And Sarah's Sarah and you guys are in in your world there. What what if you uh, uh you know had a had a, a a gala that you had to go to or a charity thing or dinner with friends. I mean, you must be sitting at, like, if it's me, I'm sitting at dinner with my friends going, all right, what red wine are we going to drink and how much are we going to drink and right. how good a time we're going to have? And he, he, so he <clears throat> came every, he, he shadowed me everywhere oh, he I went, every, oh. every business trip, every meal, everything, everywhere I went, he went with me. And, um, I never felt safer. I can tell you that. Yeah. And, uh, I think those kind of events were really uncomfortable for him. Yeah. You know? I bet, yeah. Really like, uncomfortable for who's him. Who's this dude? Who's this dude, you know? Um, you know, when you do as much as he's done, you look at people a little probably, I don't want to put words in his head, but I'm sure people appear weak. Mm. You know, here we are. His his definition of life is just a lot different of those that people I was, you know, at dinner parties with. Yeah. So it was uncomfortable for him. That's a whole new setting. But, um, you know, I remember, I'll just share one story from that happened. It's in the book, but I was here at this house in Atlanta and visually you can see Lance, I have some hedges in the front of the house and two, uh, guys kind of skinheady. They were skin. They, they had no hair and they had tattoos, smelled the pot, jumped over the hedges and they asked right here, right here. They came right up to my door and they said, Hey, can I talk to the homeowner? We're, uh, they want to see if anybody else was home. And I happen to be outside. I'm like, you guys want to talk to the homeowner? I, I don't live here. I'm happy to go get him. They're like, well, is someone home? I said, let me go get the homeowner. So I went inside and I said, uh, I said, Goggins, man, we got a situation. He looked out the window. Now, this is a guy that grew up 20 miles from the where the Klan was headquartered, African-American guy who had a really tough childhood mm. and a lot of exposure to hatred and stuff like this. He sees these guys. It was like his Super Bowl. <laughs> He was drinking a smoothie in the kitchen. He like like a, I mean, I have the visual in my head. He just slowly finishes the smoothie, puts it down, and he looks me dead in the eye and he goes, "Showtime!" Oh, <laughs> and, and he, you know, he went out and then. Uh, so he's playing the role of the homeowner, quote unquote, homeowner. quote unquote homeowner. Yeah, I'm, I, I own the yeah, I own the house. And I don't like people on my property, and then it just escalates. And they actually had left the property because I guess they sensed someone else was inside. Yeah. And uh, so they had kind of like, for whatever reason, or maybe they caught caught a glimpse of him, and he came back and showed me a picture of of the two guys on his iPhone, and he was like, uh, "Are these? You know, to, he wanted me to identify him, make sure it was a positive identification." And he showed me a picture, like you know, the scene in in Star Wars when Darth Vader lifts the guy up right, by right. the neck. It was like, and he's like, "You don't have to worry about those guys, and they will not." He be had him out. like that. He had him like that around the neck. He didn't tell me. He didn't do anything physical to him, but. Right. I, he did, this guy, he didn't have to. 
Wow. He has that look. And when that switch goes off. He's got some crazy eyes. He just. I don't know what's up with those eyes. If he told me that I, he didn't want me on his property, I wouldn't. I'd move well, you 10 me, miles of course. away. We'd be like, 10 yeah, miles I'm away. Out. I'm out, bro. I'm, I'm out of here. I'll, I'll go so find another hedge to jump over. And, correct. And, correct. And, you know. Correct. Fuck with somebody else. So it was 30 days of that kind of just always on. So, it, but, I'm, but, it, but, but, but was it to the point where he'd see, or were you just totally monked out for the month? I was monked out. Okay. So you were ready. You just figured he'd take you out of dinner and, it, you know. It, it, yeah. I was so monked out that, I couldn't when, do that when he left, I didn't do anything for six weeks. So when he came to my house, I could do 22 push-ups. I'm not a strong guy. I could do 22 push-ups. When he left, I was doing 1,000 a day. So like he flipped up. He over flipped, the course of the day. Over the course of the day. But, he, but what he really showed me was that the limitations in my head were all self-imposed. Right. So he shattered. If I thought I could run, he knocked a minute off my pace per mile when I was yeah. running yeah. in 30 days. Yeah. But he didn't do it. Yeah. He just convinced me that I need to really get uncomfortable. Yeah. My guest last week was Tanya Streeter, who um, at, at the time, um, she's a free diver. Yeah. And at the, at the time, there, there's a thing called the No Limits Free Dive. And she went down uh, 525 feet on one breath with a, with a sled, you know, 525, almost two football fields. And uh, uh, that was the world record for women and men. But anyways, we talked a lot about just this, like, what is it that just stops somebody? Obviously, there's the physical part, too. But most of the time, I when I grew up, if I was 20 and, and, and a, somebody said to me, what's more important, the mind or the body? 100% of the time, I said, well, of course, the body. And then as I get older and older and older, I mean, it's it's the complete opposite, just for me, because I know... The body is the body. The body has to be fit and, and strong. But if the mind doesn't say, okay, let's do this, like the body's not going to just go do it. Yeah. And, the, and the mind is the thing that says, okay, I don't want to do this anymore, or I want to stop, or I want to do something else. Or So my response to that is just using my own, myself as the guinea pig. When I started running, my goal was two miles, 18 minutes. I'm like, I'm a nine-minute per mile runner, I'm new to this. Mm. If I could go two two miles nonstop, yep. I'm a runner. My body never changed. My body's the same. I'm the same physical specimen that could squeeze out two miles. I took that to 100 yep. with no change in my body. I didn't get, like, I mean, maybe I got a little strong. My frame is the same. My diet maybe improved a little, but my body's the same. Hmm. My mind took me from two miles to 100. Wow. And I convinced myself over these 90 days of training that I could do it. You know, every day, every tap, every step that I took on a training run, I would say to myself, I'm becoming a fucking machine. Yeah. And the next day I would go out and I would run and I'm like, and every time I ate, I'm feeding the machine. At night, I'm resting the machine. I'm a fucking machine. I'm a machine. And I convinced myself that I could do it. So I agree with you. The huh. body didn't change. What changed? Right. I didn't lift one weight. You know, it's just, I was given this body by God. Yeah. The two-mile body became the hundred-mile mind. Right. Wow. And so the book, the, the, then, then there's a whole there's a whole series of these books. Yeah. So I mean, I found so you have Living with a Seal, Living which was the seal. first book, which was a huge hit. And then you got four more books. You're going to do Living with a. I'm actually leaving in a week to go live on a monastery. I'm living with a monk. 
So I'm going to live in some silence. And it's funny you mentioned this earlier, getting to know myself and spending some alone time with myself. I'm in for some alone time. And um, look, I, I, uh, it's one thing to read about inspiration, you know, but it's another thing to live with it. I lived with it for 30 days and I learned so much. It changed me. It was transformational for me. All the areas of my life did improve. I did get a little bit of the secret sauce that got him out of the chair. And now that was very physical, a little bit of mental, but I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to go live on a monastery and, um, so a code of silence. They believe in some, some talk, but only really when, when you have to. So it won't be completely silent, but yeah, it's going to be pretty hardcore. But you're going to be making notes. I mean, you got to write a book. Yeah. I'll make notes and I'll, I'll take notes. No cell phone. Dude, what are you going to do without a cell phone? I'm shutting it down. I just did my auto response for my email today. And I'm on a monastery and I'm shut down. I better down. get straight on this because if I'm sorry, if I'm texting you, I'm not getting a reply. I'm going to be like, yeah, what's up? You'll with get an auto like, reply. What's up? Not on text. I won't. It's like you're blowing me off, bro. Yeah. So I'll let you know here in advance. That any I sense for personal. what? I, I, by the way, none of these I'm on. I, I would never do any of these. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't. I've suffered enough. Well, you're your own monk. Well, yeah. Well, but you know, how much do you love the word suffer? It's like the most, to me, it's the most important word in the whole I mean, language. I love it. It's great. Well, it's the only, it's the biggest teacher. Yeah. It's yeah. the biggest teacher. What's interesting about the monk, if I could. Well, yeah, just, I mean, um, you could keep talking, keep saying what you're saying, but I want to, uh, for the listeners and, and for the particular listener who sent me this email, I want to read this guy's email, but talk about suffering t- to you. And I want to then read the email to, uh, to the listeners. Well, suffering for me is just getting to understand me and my limitations, what I'm capable of. But for me, suffering, and usually that means physical stuff for me, but that can also apply to challenges at work or whatever, just putting yourself in uncomfortable situations is, you know, there's a great, there's a great quote, how you do anything is how you do everything. And it's what, you know, so to me, when you go through suffering, when you go through pain, when the obstacles of life come at you, they're not as hard as they were the day before. And that's really what it's about for me, you know? And it just uh, resets things. It resets things. And it's like, you want to create an environment in your head that when things get hard, you don't quit, you keep going. Yeah. And that's what suffering is for me. Yeah. How far can you take it? Yeah. Yeah. You, you take it, you take it pretty far, dude. I don't know. You know, I, I I'm trying to see where, you know, what, how far I can take it, really. And what I love about the monk thing is, Lance, I just climbed Mount Washington. And when I climbed Mount Washington, I got to a point where we went halfway up the mountain. You couldn't, they stopped you, right? They the weather was too bad. The so, was... But we stayed in basically like an igloo that we yep. created. And we were there for, for 15 hours yep. on, on the mountain with no electricity no phone no no communication no they anything have igloos well we created an igloo i mean you had to stay warm so you yeah. create this little but when i was there with time stopped so my relationship with time our relationship with time is something that we probably a lot of people don't focus on when you're on a mountain with no communication i kept saying to my friend what time is it he's like oh it's three o'clock and then what I thought would be four hours later, I'd be like, well, what time is it now? He's like, it's 4.07. I'm like, what? Right. Today? Right. It's, it's only an hour later? It's just like when you were in the sauna or whatever. You're like, it's only been a minute more? Right. 
But when you're focused, yeah. when you don't have all the arrows that come at you all the time, bills, you know, elderly parents, all the stuff we get attacked with and obligations, when you are alone with yourself, you stretch out the days. Yeah. And all I want to do with four kids is stretch out my days. Right. Someone just asked or me. Or when you're on the back nine. When I'm on the back nine. But I think you'll appreciate this. Yeah. The, the Lanceritas are kicking in. Perfect. The, the, uh, someone asked me recently what's in my Netflix catalog, like what I watch on Netflix. I said, well, it's funny. I was watching a lot of football. You know, I was watching Michigan on Saturday, three hours, two games on Sunday, another six hours, Monday night football, Thursday night football. And I added it up. I'm like, man, that's, I'm spending 20 hours a week on football. If I do live to 78, another 30 years on life, that's, if I cut that out, I'm getting 36,000 hours of life back. So I pulled the plug and I captured in my head 36,000 free hours of life. So like, we're talking about the monk and going to the monk. Right. I hope that my relationship with time gets clear. Yeah. That's kind of my goal. You're about to find out. I'm going to find out, man. So, so this fellow, the email that we got after, so two weeks ago, I did a podcast with a bunch of old teammates of mine and it, it was a, it was a, it was a gnarly conversation and you know, we all, we just gave it up and just went there, right? With, with all of the, 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 you know, everything, right? With the, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. So t this guy, Todd Wright, sends me an email afterwards. He says, I enjoyed the podcast you taped with your old teammates just prior to the Old Pueblo 24-hour race. In particular, I found myself nodding in agreement with the conversation about suffering and adversity and its critical role in making us fuller and more realized people. I don't consider myself a particularly religious person, nor do I. Um, but it did bring to mind a particular translation from the Bible that speaks to me, and I—I I don't, I don't read the Bible. I'm right. not—I'm not religious. But, but when I see stuff like this, I'm like, huh. Hmm. So here's here's the uh, the the line. It says, and it's from Romans five three five. Um, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us i love that i'm Holy like cow maybe i am religious that is that's I, I mean i'm getting chill just reading it that's first time i read it i was like what i that sent it out to like a hundred people i'm like yeah i need that yes i need that on my wall right now that's amazing the auto reply but i mean how great is that you know we most people spend their whole life trying to avoid pain and so much can be learned from pain yeah you know yeah that's an amazing, powerful yeah. quote that I need, I need that in my life. I just sent it to you. Thank you. It's, it's in your inbox. I'm going to get the auto reply. I'm living with the monk. I'm sorry. I can't get back to you. I can't even talk. There's no Lanceritas here. What the fuck? Hilarious. No. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I've taken enough of your time. But your wife, okay? First of all, you're a good friend of mine, and I appreciate you coming on here. But And I've met your wife once before, and we hung out at the game last night. Dude, she is an A plus plus. And for the listener at home, this this isn't like you know, you know Joni Itzler. This is Sarah Blakely. Yep, who started Spanx. Who, yep. in her own right, is just this is a girl. She was telling me the story last night about how she started Spanx. And it, it, it it's crazy. It's, it's she has amazing. to come on her at some point and tell the story. But but she starts this from literally zero on her idea 
which was a seemingly stupid and crazy idea, but she 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 was into it, has never taken an investment. She's built this thing up to, you know, zillions and zillions in revenue. And she's just and 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 now tonight, you know, I come back from the race today and she's running around the house with all the kids. I'm like She's amazing. Yeah. Humble, amazing, yeah, brilliant. And uh yeah, I'm super lucky. And she lets some dude just like I mean, the day you must have come home is like, oh, by the way, like if I like, not to uh, disregard, I'm like my Anna, like Anna is is the fact that she's put up with my shit for so long is yeah. just a miracle. Um, but if I came home and said, honey, uh, I met this dude, or I met this dude a long time ago, and then I got reconnected with him, and I'm going to have him come live with us for a month, she'd be like, nah, <laughs> no, I don't care what vision quest you need. Yeah, you can, you guys can go. She'd be like, you guys can go hang out for a month. Yeah, she's uh, she's it's amazing. Just, she doesn't know about the monks. So uh, when is this? When is this? No, podcast? I was downstairs. I was downstairs. No, I was downstairs. She's like, oh yeah, he's. And do you hear, do you know the story about your kids? Like, because you, you're gonna shave your head. Yes. They didn't know that your dude. I think I fucked everything up. <laughs> I said to Sarah, I said, oh, so the second book is about living with a monk, and she's like, it is. <laughs> and I go, uh, well, maybe, maybe it's an idea. And then I'm like, and he's going to shave his head. And like a couple of your kids are in the kitchen and they're like, wait, whoa, 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 who's going to shave their head? I'm like, no, your dad's going to shave his head. And they're like, whoa, dad's going to shave his head? And they, it was like you just poured gasoline on a fire. They were fucking going crazy. They were That's running hilarious. around the house looking for, where, where's dad? Where's dad? I'm like, yeah. the, um, I have a so way. Sorry about that. Well, there's a madness to how I explain stuff to my wife. You know, it has to be the right time and it has to be, you know, she's going to have to say it really fast. And while she's doing nine thousand yeah. things, and they're like, "You already, I told you this so last she, night." I should go get a hotel tonight. <laughs> Probably kicked out. <laughs> yeah. load, load up, load up the gear. I'll load up my bag or shave your head, and I can just say, you know, low. Lance talking about himself. I'm growing out the fro right now. I like He's, it. Yeah, I like it's a little, it. you know, seventies. New, new thing for me. Very seventies. Yeah. All right, Jesse. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here, and thanks. And more importantly, um, and, and in all seriousness, I mean, you've been a great friend. And uh, I talk about this sometimes on here, but but my life over the last five years, boy, you find out you find out who your your real friends are. And the cool thing is that there are the disappointments, right? And and I deserved what I deserved, but none of us want to lose friends, right? And so, uh, so a lot of friends or what you thought were friends disappoint you. And then you get these people that were they were around, you know, were kind of you know, see them every now and again. All of a sudden, they're like, "Yo, what's up? What are we doing?" And, and and those are the people you either lean out or you lean in, and um, you know the fact that you've weathered this storm with me and just such a good homie. And well, good you've friend. always been great to me, man. Yeah. You've been a great friend and and uh, continue to be a good friend and always help me out, give me advice, and uh, I look up to you. Yeah. So I I appreciate you saying that, but it's completely mutual, man. Yeah. And you've done a lot of great things, and uh, you know I hope people recognize what you've done, especially yeah. as it relates to cancer and some of the initiatives mm -hmm. that you've done and not it's just amazing yeah. and uh on behalf of everybody that's benefited from that you know thank you yeah absolutely thanks man cool man thanks for tuning in to the forward podcast like uh like i said at the top of the show if you have anything you want to say if you have a suggestion, please. God knows I need suggestions. Um, or questions, or concerns, or criticisms, 
or whatever, let me know. Send me an email. Send it to theforwardpodcast at wedosport.com. I know it's long. I know it's a little confusing. The Forward Podcast at we do W-E-D-U Sport Singular.com. The Forward Podcast at we do sport.com. 